Journalist Podcast. And these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland. This series brings to life the oral histories of journalists in North and South Dakota, newspaper legends who devoted their lives to covering their rural communities. By now, a few have passed on, but all of their legacies endure, and their history is forever preserved in the newspapers they leave behind, as well as through these stories. These episodes are sponsored by the North Dakota Newspaper Association and the South Dakota Newspaper Association. Since the 1880s, both have advocated for the public's right to know and for the importance of newspapers in a democracy. Being a woman in journalism presents its own set of challenges, including a long history of sexism in the workplace. In this episode, our journalists discuss these trends from World War II to the present. They carved careers in an industry that, until recent decades, primarily restricted them to women's pages and feature stories. Marilyn Haggerty's story begins in the midst of wartime on the campus of the University of South Dakota. Well, it was during World War II, of course, so it was a very strange time on the campus. Um, There were something like 70 men on campus and about 400 women. We women did everything because there were no men. I mean, it was clear sailing that there were two two women were editors of the Volant, the school paper, and I got in line. I was the assistant managing editor so that when I became a senior, I was editor of the school newspaper. I worked in the journalism department, and uh, the journalism professor, E.G. Trotzig, was, to me, just, he was wonderful. And he encouraged me and helped me. When we were sophomores, the men started coming back. We stood in line, watched him on the campus, standing in line to sign up for the GI Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. There were rows and rows of people when we were sophomores. So my junior and senior year, there was, you know, a normal college year, and things were sort of, you know, getting back to pre-war years. The war provided new opportunities, not just for Hagerty, but for women across the nation, who stepped in to fill roles normally dominated by men. But when the war ended, women were relegated back to their dominant roles as housewives. Hagerty describes what expectations were like for women at the time. (laughs) Pretty pathetic. It was... uh... When I was growing up, if you were a woman, you were sort of supposed to know your own place. And um, you were, if you went to college, you if you didn't find a husband by the time you graduated, people sort of wondered what was wrong with that handsome girl. She's senior at South Dakota and she's not engaged. Um, it was sort of like, you'd, go to college to meet a husband, I think. And not everyone, but many women did that, and that was what was the norm. Um, when, when you did graduate, as I did from South Dakota in journalism, when you go, went to take on a job, my first job was Aberdeen American News, that summer, they chose three 
they hired three new reporters. One was from the University of Missouri, Eddie Tollefson, and he thought he was hot stuff because he came from Missouri. And the other was Bob, Bob something, who had graduated from South Dakota State, and me from Vermilion, the university. So the managing editor went to put out the assignments, and he gave Eddie the police beat, which was pretty good. And he gave the guy from South Dakota State the area beat. You know, he'd travel and visit farms, agriculture. And he was good at that. And guess what he gave me? I could be assistant to an old lady named Florence Delaney, who was the society editor. I could be the assistant. And I just sat there seething. And as soon as he was through with us, I went into his office and I said, I didn't go to college four years to be an assistant to Edith Delaney. She's had no formal education. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, uh, I'll see that you get better assignments. And he was good. He understood. But he said, but when she's on vacation, you are going to have to take her place. And I said, well, you know, that I could see, but I, I couldn't see just being her assistant after working all that time at South Dakota. So uh, Leif Johnson, the uh, managing editor, has had me doing features, which I love to do. And he liked my features, and the publisher did, so they pretty much put me on that type of story, although I had the hospital beat and the school board. And, you know, I didn't, I liked that all right, but um, it was pretty clear that when, if you were a woman, you were not ever to have designs on being managing editor or anything like that. You could just have some minor job. In the 1960s, Hagerty joined the newspaper where she's worked ever since, the Grand Forks Herald, where her husband Jack worked as managing editor. There were few women in the newsroom at the time. One or two at the most. Uh, there were women working at the Grand Forks Herald. There were quite a few in the business offices and this and the different parts of the newspaper, but in the editorial department, uh, there were women on the switchboard, and there were, there would be like one or possibly two women reporters most of the time. I remember the 60s and into the 70s at the Herald. Um, the ones who did what they used to call society, and then it became lifestyle, they would usually be women, one older and one probably college age. Women reporters were even during those times hard to find because I remember my husband seeking out, trying to find people. I don't think there were as many people going into journalism then, because journalism was mostly you'd think of as newspapers, and it was just becoming the broader field of writing for television. And uh, so it was 
opening up and around the country you were hearing more and more of women leading the way in journalism jobs. There were mixed reactions to women reporters, but Hagerty felt welcome, at least among her male co-workers. I felt that uh, they treated us quite well. I, I felt that they were supportive, probably more so than the people we interviewed or the people who uh, were not, did not know a lot about the newspaper because uh, uh, when we'd come as a woman reporter, sometimes people who considered themselves quite important would wonder why the newspaper would send a woman to interview them. The same trend was occurring at newspapers across the country. In South Dakota, Mary Carol Keeter also saw issues for women journalists. Um, I think the, the other journalists, I think, in my experience, always treated the women the same as their men friends. Some sources, though, did not. I mean, there, were, there still are some people, uh, politicians, public officials, uh, businessmen, who are very patronizing to women in general, and particularly in journalism. I mean, it's, there's still not a, a completely level playing field there. I think that's societal. I don't think that's against journalism. You know, I don't think it's a, a particular offense occurring only to women in journalism, but it does still exist in the world. In New York and on the East Coast, Jack Marsh also saw the advantages that men had in journalism. Until the mid-1960s, women were pretty much uh, limited to what they called the society or social page. Uh, and that eventually evolved into like a fa the family pages or eventually a lifestyle section. But most women in newsrooms were either in support roles, uh, you know, they were fetching coffee or they were called copy girls sometimes, you know, they do doing odd, odd jobs in the newsroom. Well, it was a very, like society, it was, you know, very, very sexist early on. Uh, women were discriminated against. Uh, they weren't the only ones discriminated against. Uh, but, you know, when I started out, certainly as an intern, uh, all of the, you know, all of management and most of the reporters were Men, not all, but most. John Andrist, who ran a small weekly in northwestern North Dakota, admits that he was among those who initially treated women differently. There may have been some salary discrimination years ago, <clears throat> but uh, and I know I was guilty of that. Uh, I remember visiting with... Uh, with another publisher talking shop at rugby years ago. And he had a woman linotype operator, which was kind of unusual. Not very women, and many women were in the production part of the newspaper, just a few. And I asked him uh, what he had to pay her name. Her, I don't know what her real name was, but her, her nickname was Freddie. And I said, what do you have to pay Freddie? He says, I pay her $90 a week. So holy cow, that's as much as you pay a man. I remember saying it. Uh, I'm guilty. His reaction was, well, I tell you something about Freddie. He says, if things got so bad, 
I could only afford one person, and it was me or Freddie, I'd leave myself. So he thought the world of Freddie. Uh, but, you know, as I say, I, women, I, without the, the female gender, I'd never produced a newspaper in the offset years. In Western North Dakota, Linda Seiler also struggled with respect after joining the Dickinson Press in 1970. I didn't feel important. I felt I was just another secretary at first. We're talking at first. Um, Margot, and then as we did stories and there was two of us out there, I think we started getting respect and respect for what we did, that we were writers, that they can trust us with stories. So it's been a gradual evolution of from I wasn't respected, I didn't have any self-confidence, to the reporters come to me now and ask about a lead that they are stuck on or who they should get for somebody to interview. So it's, I've come the whole spectrum. But then it was, it was hard. Siler came of age during the second wave of feminism, which impacted her life goals. I knew it wasn't going to be just, just a wife. I fought to drop the name Mrs. Jo- Tom Kuntz, and it was just, I was Linda Seiler. So it was the little things that I would fight for. I felt like I was a feminist, too, um, because I could compare where I wanted to go and who I wanted to be to my mom and her grandma, who were still in their dresses and their aprons. And I thought that was horrible. And so the rest of us in school... We revolted, we wore, it's a little thing, but we went from dresses to blue jeans. I refused to wear a dress in high college. So that, I think I was more of a feminist then because I wore what I wanted to be and that was blue jeans. So it's the little things and I was aware of it. She was also aware of the unequal pay in the newsroom. I felt like I was never paid nearly as much as some of the reporters. I can say that because you really shouldn't see somebody else's paycheck. And I realized that, dear God, these, some of these young reporters were getting paid as much as I or more. And that caused a lot of resentment. And I think it was because I was just a lifestyle reporter. 40 miles away in Hebron, North Dakota, Jane Brandt was working as publisher of the Hebron Herald. After her divorce in the early 1970s, she took on the trailblazing role around the same time that Catherine Graham gained prominence as publisher of the Washington Post. Like Graham, Brandt wasn't always taken seriously in those early days. I was sitting at my desk one day, and a man came through the door, and he said, could I speak to the publisher? And I said, I'm the publisher. Oh, he said, I'm looking for a job. And I said, I'm the publisher, and he he just turned on his heels and walked out the door. I mean, that's women, those, those traveling printers, they were not going to work for a woman. I just laughed because this woman's movement, it's never meant anything to me. I'm just, I, I'm running a newspaper. I don't, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> it just didn't mean a thing, but I just, I just had a laugh at the fellow. For Native American women, however, just getting a foot in the door was an even bigger challenge. Tim Gallego, who has published Native newspapers in South Dakota, said opportunities were limited. They worked for me. They worked for an Indian newspaper. 
I've had a couple of them that were extremely good writers, good journalists that went to apply for work at uh, some of the dailies in South Dakota and could never were never hired. So, uh, in fact, I don't know of any of my writers that ever went on to work for a non-Indian newspaper, even though I thought they were some of the very high qualified journalists. So I, I really don't know the reasons behind that. Mike Jacobs of the Grand Forks Herald made an effort to attend conference sessions for women journalists when he could. I wanted to understand what their issues were and what their perspectives were and why they were different than mine. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard for men uh, to get it, just as it's hard, it's hard for white people to get it when it comes to race relations, as we're finding out. Jacobs said the industry has long struggled with addressing gender equity issues. So, my, you know, I, I think that the big issue in, in when I was coming up in the business was how do you, how do you uh, create newspapers w whose content is broadly reflective of the shared interests of men and women, and how do you, how do you integrate women, so to speak, into, into the larger newsroom so that they are, not, they are not just society reporters. And in some ways, I think, to, to, we failed at that because there's still a ghettoization of women in newsrooms in education reporting and, uh, you know, uh, trend reporting, uh, entertainment reporting. You know, it's no longer, the content itself is no longer sectionalized and women are not, are no longer sort of slotted into society page roles. But there's still, I think, I, I don't have data to show this, but my experience is that they're still slotted uh, into what you think of as, as women's interests. Dale Blagan of the D. Smith News also reflected on the transition for women. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen any wedding stories from that era, but the stories that most of the society editors would write would go into extensive descriptions of the bride's dress and the bridemaid's dresses and the bride's mother's dress and the groom's mother's dress and, and this kind of thing. Uh, you know, fairly lightweight stuff. And women staffers would also, from time to time, write feature stories, but usually the, the lighter, more human interest kinds of things. And uh, as you well know, that has transitioned completely. Uh, women are now publishers and executive editors and reporters who are doing investigative work. And, uh, uh, you know, the environment today is totally different than, than it was then, uh, where there would be two, maybe three women on a 12-person staff, uh, my guess is now there's probably half or more will, will be women. So that has changed significantly. The increase in women in newsrooms does make a difference, women journalists say. I think women bring um, the perspective of writing as women. I mean, it's a different experience growing up as a man and growing up as a woman. Women only know women's experiences, men only know men's experiences, and so um, the advantage to 
the reader is that you are getting two different and sometimes completely different uh, approaches to telling a story. Um, so I think that's, a, that's an advantage and I think that's just, that's just reality. I think they bring a little more warmth sometimes to some stories and I think maybe a little more understanding about the person that they're interviewing and I'm not knocking any men because there are great male journalists. Uh, a softness maybe once in a while, not all the time, but once in a while. Thinking it's empathy, being able to listen to what you're doing and saying. I've seen plenty of editors consume the conversation doing something. They don't know when to shut up. Just, um, and maybe share just a bit of your life. You don't have to, but sometimes it helps. But I think it's the empathy and, and ability to listen to what they're doing, saying. Keep your mouth shut. Keeter thinks women in journalism have more opportunities now than ever before, but challenges remain. Well, there's always room for improvement. I think there's probably the, the, the glass ceiling to the very top level jobs is probably still there in, in some, you know, some companies and some uh, uh, organizations. Uh, I think it is, I know it is much improved from when I graduated from college, and I, I think the, the opportunities to do different kinds of journalism are so much broader. Um, you know, you hardly ever heard of a woman being a sports writer back in the 70s, you know, and now women are national sports writers and national sports columnists. From World War II to the present, journalists in the Dakotas have witnessed the evolution of women's rights and women's roles in American society. Change has been slow, but the perseverance of these generations of journalists paved the way for women in journalism today and for those into the future. For the Dakota Journalist Podcast, I'm Terry Finneman, with sound editing by Savannah Wakefield. And these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland. Thank you.